Amen. Thank you, Cameron, for taking such good care of our kids and teaching them truth and all the, the help that we had this week. So uh, great trip, great testimony, and uh, so grateful for our student ministry, which leads us to today's topic, which is Father's Day. And the message that God laid on my heart for us this week is coming out of Matthew chapter 6. And I've titled this message, Our Father in Heaven. Our Father in Heaven. So we're going to take a look today at Matthew 6 and uh, really spend some time breaking down the Lord's Prayer. And I'm really excited about doing that and really thinking back over the years of ministry and God's given me opportunities to, to speak and to share. I don't think I've ever really preached through the Lord's Prayer that I'm aware of. Maybe, maybe not, but I can't recall. So I'm really excited about being able uh, to do that this morning. Um, I was thinking this morning on the way up here, just about the different seasons of being a father. Um, God blessed my wife and I with three uh, amazing sons. And uh, it's, it's just so weird because, you, of course, when you're a new father and the baby's here and you're just so full of pride and joy and it's just a life-changing event, uh, then you kind of go through some of those, what, the terrible twos or threes and fours and fives or whatever it is. And, uh, and, of course, we had two kids very close in age. Our first two, Easton and Vance, were very close in age. And so, you know, we had two running around and very young, very active, and you're just, like, just trying to survive. You're trying to keep up with them. Um, but, you know, as they get older and they learn to talk and they start to put their personalities begin to form, and, and they, they really do kind of look at Dad as, like, like hero, right? Like, this is, this is, like, the guy, and they look up to you so much, and they just want all of your time and attention, and, you know, you just try to cherish that time, which I, I hope I did the best I could to cherish that time, probably not as much as I should have. Um, but, you know, you're just, you're the guy, right? You can do no wrong in their eyes and all that kind of stuff. And then you kind of get into the teenage years. Things change a little bit. They don't really want as much to do with you, or at least they act like they don't, or they're going through all of this, these changes and things like that. And now, pretty much, they just make fun of me all the time. So that's just where we are in our relationship now is, is most of my kids just spend time joking and laughing and, and making fun of me. But my oldest son, he now has a son, and they're expecting another child in December. And so now, guess what? Payback's coming, right? So I'm going to be able to see him go through that very same cycle, and now I get to be the one to make fun of him. So, no, I, I really am proud of our kids and, and so proud of... Uh, so thankful that God has blessed us with three amazing boys. And, uh, you know, the one thing I was thinking as we talk about Father's Day and we're going to talk about the Lord's Prayer is that there is truly one thing that every single father who has ever lived on the face of the earth shares in common. And that is that we are all imperfect. We are. I know some of us do it better than others, and there's some fathers who have done much better than others. But at the end of the day, every single father who's ever lived on the face of the earth is imperfect. He's flawed. He has failed. Um, and he's fallen. Ultimately, he's fallen. And so when I was contemplating my own role as a father, you know, I was thinking about... Father's Day 
it is a day for us to appreciate our fathers. It is a day for us to remember the good things about our fathers. And I do think that's very much worth our time and, and effort to do that. And I'm not anti-Father's Day. I think it's very much time Mother's Day, Father's Day. These, you know, we could call them hallmark holidays. But you know what? They mean something, and they should mean something. Um, and so it's a good thing, I think, for us to remember and appreciate and honor our fathers. But the thing about being a father myself is that what fatherhood has done for me is that it has probably made me more aware of my shortcomings than anything else. You know, it's a funny thing that marriage and being a parent really humbles you as a person because it really begins to expose the good, bad, and the ugly about who you are. And those close relationships in your life are oftentimes the most challenging because you are there with, with this family and you see the everything about each other you know everything about each other and you have to learn how to struggle through things and and you disappoint each other and you forgive each other and it's just this this dynamic in life as being a father that has really has exposed and humbled me because it probably is one of the most challenging if not the most challenging um you know role that i've ever dared to face as as a man and at the same time being a father is so worth it and it is so rewarding. So the risk and reward is not even close. Yeah, it's risk. It's challenging. There's struggles. You, you, you experience shortcomings as a father. But to be able to have children and raise those children and experience the blessings and the joy of having children is so much worth the reward um, and so much more worth the risk could ever be. And so um, when I was thinking about today's message, I was thinking, okay, well, you know, everybody's different. How do you approach Father's Day? How do you approach these kind of holidays, Mother's Day? And I said, okay, I'm a father who has not always gotten it right. I fall into that category that all fathers do. as someone who is not perfect and has failed on many levels. And so I realized that because of my experience that I could not have been a father, I couldn't have done it alone. There's no possible way any of us as fathers could do it alone we all need what help we all need help whether your mother father husband wife kids whatever grandparent we all need help and so thank god the good news is that there is someone who is there for us who is provided everything that we need to be a father and of course who am i talking about i'm talking about our heavenly See, the good news is, is that whether you had a good fa earthly father or not, or maybe you did, is that the good news is that we have a heavenly father who is there for us, who has provided everything that we need, who has proven himself worthy, proven himself faithful. And so what I want to do today is that I want to honor him. And I want to thank you as fathers out there, all of you fathers out there, but ultimately this message is not really about us as, as much as it's about who. It's about him. So we're going to talk about our Heavenly Father today, and we're going to look at the really one of the greatest places I believe we can look at when it comes to understanding who our Heavenly Father truly is, and that's Matthew chapter 6. And so let's read Matthew 6. We're going to, we're going to just jump off into um, a few verses here, and then we'll cover the Lord's Prayer together as I'm going to spend most of my time in the Lord's Prayer. So let's just jump off in Matthew 6. Let's start in verse 5. As we talk about our Father who is in heaven. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. 
So Jesus is talking here, and he says, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows, listen to this, your Father knows what you need before you even what? Before you even ask him. Then why ask him? If he already knows, why does he want us to ask him anyway? Because it's about a what? A relationship. Many times we as parents, we already know what our kids need, but we still want them just what? Just come to me. Talk to me about it. Ask me about it. Because we want a relationship. This is our Heavenly Father is the very same way. He says, your father knows what you need before you ask him. And so then Jesus goes in and he says, now this is a model, this is, a, this is an example, this is kind of a template for how we can pray. It doesn't mean you have to pray this way exactly every single time, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an opportunity for you to understand the basic elements of what God is trying to communicate to us and how we should pray. So let's look at this together. And we know this by heart. Many of us probably know this by heart. He says, then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts or our sins as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Will you pray with me as we stop before we get into this message? Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for this opportunity. I pray that you would speak through me. Just a... uh, an earthly vessel, because your word and your spirit, Lord, are true and eternal and powerful. And so, Lord, anything according to your spirit and your word, Lord, that you would want to communicate today, that you would use me as a mouthpiece and that you would eliminate anything from this message, Lord, that is not of your will. And that you would bless us today for the, so that we could know who you are and have a, a greater appreciation for you as you are our good, good Father. It is who you are. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So here's where I want to jump off. The first thing I want to share with you guys, which is so foundational to everything that we're going to talk about today, is that we have a good Heavenly Father. We have a good Heavenly Father. You know, in in another account, I think it's in Luke's Gospel, Jesus is talking in the very same setting, and we'll, talk, we'll read it a little bit more here in, in just a minute, but he mentions something. He says, you know, if, an, if a parent or a father, an earthly father who is evil, like by nature, remember, we're all imperfect, he said even an earthly father knows how to give good gifts to their children, right? If, if, a, if a child comes to you and asks for some bread, you know, you don't turn around and give him a stone. If he asks for some fish or some food, you don't turn around and give him a snake. Even us being evil, even us being imperfect, we still know how to give what? Good gifts to our children. Now, how much more is God good? And this is where we really want to spend a a minute thinking about the implications of this one simple, but this is so essential, 
to everything that we believe is that it is the goodness of God. We have a good heavenly Father. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, I want you to notice something. The very first word is our Father. Sometimes we, need, we don't need to jump over that. What's important about our Father? You see, the, the pronoun our implies that it's something plural. That it's something what? Collective. And so what Jesus is telling us is that there's something that unites every single believer, not just here but all around the world, really across all time, is that we as believers are united in Christ and we now share a common heavenly Father. So as individuals, when we become believers, we are adopted into God's what? Family. And now we inherit new brothers and sisters, as dysfunctional as we may be, right? But that's the good thing about church family is that we all are here together today simply because we've trusted in Christ and God's given us this right. He's given us this privilege. In 1 John 3, it says, See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so he's our Father. That makes us brothers and sisters of the same family. So now our identity, you see, I think at the end of the day, I've thought of this a lot. We put our identity in so many things. Again, parents, spouses, our vocation, being fathers, grandfathers, um, friends, church members, whatever it may be. I think at the end of the day, the number one identity each and every one of us should stand on and hold on to the most is that by Christ and his sacrifice and our faith in him, we have been given the right to be called what? Children of God, sons and daughters of the king. In my opinion, there's nothing greater than that. And so he's our father. And so we think about our father. The scripture says that because of him, we're able to call him Abba or Daddy. In other words, there's this intimate relationship that we now have with our heavenly father. And Jesus makes this available to us. And we have a heavenly father who loves us perfectly He loves us eternally, unconditionally. But here's the question I really want to get down to in this, is that when I make that statement, we have a good heavenly father. The question is, is God really good? Is God really good? You see, how we answer that question determines everything about our life, what we believe. It changes everything in our life. And I know many of us would say, of course we believe that God is good. But at the same time, even here, I stand here today for you, and and I will be honest with you. Do you think that when you go through and you experience difficulty and struggle and suffering and pain and heartache and disappointment and failure and all the kind of pain and, and trouble that we experience in this life, there are times when we begin to what? We begin to doubt the goodness of God. It's easy for us to step back for just a minute and say, wait a minute, if God is good, then why is all of this happening to me? If we're not careful, even if we have a good relationship with the Lord, it's easy for us to kind of start to go down that road. And I want to just, I want to take a minute to to camp out here because the, the way we answer that question right there, in my opinion, it determines everything. Is God really 
good. Can, do we, can we say without a shadow of a doubt, without any qualifications, no conditions, no exceptions, that God is good? Because here's the, here's the implication. If you do believe that God is good, again, no qualifications, no conditions, no what ifs, no buts. You know, we can say, yeah, God is good, but, or, but what if, or except when. No, I'm not talking about any of that stuff. I'm saying, is he good? Can you trust that the God of the Bible has revealed to us in Scripture that he is by nature good? If he is, then this is, this is the implication. If God is good, then we're able to trust him. That's critical. If he's good, we can trust him. And we can find comfort, okay, that when we do face pain and heartache and evil and troubles and trials and suffering, that we can find comfort when we face these things knowing that there is still um, a life with hopeful and peaceful and joyful perspective. Because in the midst of our trouble, in the midst of our suffering, we know that God is still what? He's still good. And what that does then is that it turns us to him in our time of trouble. It turns us to him when we're going through difficulty and suffering and pain. And it doesn't turn us what? Away from him. Because if he's not good, then that's going to be the opposite. It's going to create the opposite attitude in our life, and we're not going to be able to trust him. We're not going to be able to, to depend upon him. We're going to begin to resent him or even blame him for what we're going through. And those are two radically different places to be in when it comes to our life. You see, we need to believe and understand that God is good. And if he is good, then here's the reality, guys, is that he is the only good. He's the only hope that any of us have in this life or the life to come. Amen. And so we are assured in the goodness of God that nothing can separate us from his love. Not even who? Not even myself. Think about that for a second. I think sometimes we forget when we, when we read Romans 8, you know, nothing in all creation can separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus. That includes who? You and me. I can't even separate myself no matter how bad I fail, no matter how many times I, I disappoint him, no matter, no matter how many times I have flaws or sins in my life. Even those things are not enough to separate him. And there's nothing in this world that will ever make God stop loving that's if he's what? If he's good. But what if God's not good? If we become convinced that God is not good, then everything changes. All of a sudden, okay, well, maybe I can't trust God. Maybe he doesn't really love me. Maybe he doesn't really care about me. Maybe he's just cruel. Maybe he's harsh. Maybe he's even abusive. Maybe this life is just a one big absurd joke. And God is just up there laughing at me while I go through all of this trouble in here. And he doesn't care anything about me. Now, you may be sitting there saying, no, no, nobody would really feel it. Let me tell you something, guys. There are millions of people out there today, and maybe some in this room today, and that is exactly how they feel. Not only do they not trust God and they don't believe that God is good, but they blame him for all the evil and all the suffering and all the pain and problems that they have in their life. And it leads to blame and frustration and even leads to hatred. 
there are a lot of people, and they may not even know it. There may be some of you in this room today, and you may not be willing to admit it out loud, but in your heart, and there are people out there, and in their heart, they hate God. They're angry at him. They're mad at God. And again, what does it go back to? God, if you're so good, okay, isn't this the, isn't this the ultimate philosophical question? And we're going to unpack that for just a second. It's important. God, if you're so good, then why is there so much what? Why is there so much evil in the world? We need to unpack that question. God, if you're so good, why is there so much evil in the world? Why are we living in a world with all this pain and hopelessness and suffering, despair, heartache, disappointment, and failure? I'm going to give you one answer that may surprise you. To answer that question, if God is good, then why is there so much evil in the world? There's one word that answers that question. It's called love. Love. You didn't expect that, did you? Why love? It's very simple. In order for God to create a world in which there was the capacity to love, there had to be the capacity to choose. Because love, by definition, is a what? It's a choice. If love ceases to be a choice, then it ceases to be what? See, God did not create us to be robots. He did not create us to be puppets. He created us in his own image, and he gave us the freedom and the ability to make what? Choices. And the reason he gave us the freedom and the ability to make choices is because he loves us, and he wants us to what? Love him back. Because by definition, love must be free. It has to be a choice. But if you're going to create a world where love is going to be available and there's going to be a a choice for love, there's also going to be a choice to what? To reject God, not to love God. And there's your answer. Why is there so much evil in the world? Because we have chosen not to what? Not to love God. And because of that, that's evil, that's sin, and that, those choices that who made? We have made, individually and collectively as a human race, those choices, sinful choices, to reject God, to not love him, is the reason that our world is in such a mess. So God said, I value love above anything else. Even if the world that I create is going to be a world where there's a potential for evil. Does that make sense? You see, God is good. And we have to be able to understand and believe and um, truly settle that in our heart. Because, guys, if you can't really settle that in your heart, then you really are going to struggle with everything else in your life. Because you're going to question and doubt and be confused. And you're not going to be able to trust in the goodness of God. Now, I just got through the first two words of the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) Our Father. Let's move on. We're going to move a little bit quicker as we go. But the second thing I want to share with you guys is that not only do we have a good Heavenly Father, but we can trust in His perfect will. So this kind of builds on each other, right? I'm going to to work through this as, as well. So I want you to see, He says, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. So if God is good and we are settled in that, then we can believe that His will is perfect. And that he is always working everything out for our what? For our good. Remember, if he is good, then he's going to take even our messed up choices, our mistakes, our failures, and he's still somehow going to work it around together 
for our what? For our good. That's who our God is. And so we can trust his perfect will. Okay? And so let's talk about the different aspects of God's will. Guys, this is going to be a crash course. I'm going, to, I'm going to move really quickly through this, but you need to know it because this helps clarify so many things in life. Is that when we the will of God, it does, it's, it's not as just simple as saying God's will. There are different aspects to God's will. Scriptures are very clear about this, okay? Let me give you some of the, the primary aspects. I want you to be able to look at God's will from a different perspective because I think this will help us reconcile what is God really up to. Again, what's the big question when you're going through pain and you're in trouble and you're going through suffering? What's the big question we ask? Why? Why, God? Why didn't you prevent this? Why haven't you changed this? Why haven't you removed this from my life? Okay, this is going to go into the will of God. Okay, so stay with me. If you have your notes or something, you might want to write these down. Okay, here we go. The first part of God's will is called his prescribed will. His prescribed will. What is God's prescribed will? Very simple. God has written down a prescription for us. You go to the doctor, you're sick, you get a what? Prescription. Take this medicine, you're going to get what? You're going to get better. God says, I've, given, I've written you a prescription. I wrote it down. It's called my word, my instructions, my commandments. And it's very clear that if you obey my commandments, you will be what? You'll be blessed. Guess what? It is God's will for you to obey his what? His word. Nothing, nothing unclear about that. So part of God's will has already been given to us in his word. He said, I've written it down for you. Thus says the Lord, it is written, and this is my prescribed will. If you do these things, you will be blessed. If you do not do these things, you will be what? You'll be cursed. You'll experience pain. So there's no question about his will. In other words, do what he says, do what the word says. That's his prescribed will. But then there's another aspect to God's will. It's called his desired will. His desired will, okay? In other words, it's God's desire. He, this is what he wants. You know what the scripture says? God wants all men to be saved. You know the scripture says that? God desires, he does not want anyone to what? Perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. That's what God wants. That's his desire. Let me ask you a question. Is every man going to be saved? But God, that's God's will for every man to be saved, right? Aren't we clear? So why isn't every man saved? Because it goes back to what I told you before, love. God said, I have to give them a what? A choice. I can't force them to want me. I want them to want me on their own. So even though God wants us to be saved and he wants good things for us, is that God's desires don't always match up with what happens in reality. Does that make sense? It's very simple. So these are the things that God wants. He wants the best for us. He wants all men to be saved. He doesn't want anybody to perish. He wants all of these good things for us. But the reason that those things don't happen is because we still have free choice and free will. That's God's desired will. All right, let me give you another one. Then there's God's permissive will. What is his permissive will? This is when God allows everything to happen as it does. I look at the world today, and there is a lot of pain and evil and wickedness out in the world. And God is what? He's allowing those things to happen. 
So it shows us that there is a tremendous amount of freedom and responsibility and power in the decisions that we make. And so there is a permissive will, an aspect to God's will, where he is allowing the free choices of mankind to bear their consequences and come to their, in, to their definite conclusion. If there's one universal law in Scripture that, that summarizes God's permissive will, it is this. You ready? Whatever a man sows, he will certainly reap. That is a universal law, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. God said, listen, if you sow unrighteousness, what are you going to get back? Unrighteousness. If you sow righteousness, you're going to get peace and blessing and righteousness back. It's a universal law. But God is allowing these things to happen according to whatever choices we make. All right, I got two more for you, and we're going to move on. So we have his prescribed will, his desired will, his permissive will. God's allowing things to happen according to our free choices. And then he has a perfect will. In Romans 12, it says that we are to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and then we will be able to test and approve his good, pleasing, and what? Perfect will. Now, what is God's perfect will? This is what amazes me about God, is that even though he takes our choices, which oftentimes are bad choices and mistakes and sins that we make and consequences to our sin, but somehow he still takes those things and he works it all together for our what? For our good and his glory. That's who our God is. Somehow he's going to take what's, he's going to make beauty from ashes. Because that's the kind of a God that he does, that he is. And so that's his perfect will is that, okay, I'm still allowing these things to happen. I'm still permitting them to happen, but I'm going to take it and use it for your good ultimately and for my glory. And that's God's perfect will. And then there's one more. It's very simple. It's God's decreed will. And what is God's decreed will? It's simply this. There's some things that God said, this is going to happen. And is there anything in all creation that's going to stop that from happening? Nothing. Let me give you one example. God said, who's going to return in power and great glory? Jesus Christ, he's coming back, right? Who's going to stop that from happening? That's God's will. It's going to happen, right? But again, understanding God's will is very important because sometimes we sit back and we just say, well, why is this terrible thing happening to me? Oh, well, that's just God's will for you. Well, if you don't understand the different aspects of God's will, then you're going to become who? Angry or resentful at who? At God. You mean I was supposed to lose a child and, and have a stillborn child? That's God's will? You see, that's not his desire, but he allowed it to happen, of course, because we live in what kind of a world? A sinful, fallen world. So, guys, that's why it's important for us to understand our Heavenly Father, okay? Now, I'm going to break down just a few more. I know we got to go. We have a good Father. We can trust his will. And almost these last three are going to be really quick, so stay with me. He provides all we need and even what? Give us this day our daily bread. God gives us everything. Listen, if God had only just given us everything we need, air, water, shelter, food, family, our health, that would be enough. It would be. That would be enough for us to be thankful and to praise him. But God says, I'm not only just going to give you what you need, but I'm going to give you immeasurably more than anything that you could ever possibly ask or imagine. Starting with 
the greatest gift of all, which was the gift of my only son. For if God did not spare his only son, but freely gave him up for us all, then how will he not give us everything? So our father gave us his son. Our father turned around and gave us the Holy Spirit as a gift to have this relationship with him. So not only does God take care of our every need, but he gives us so much more than we could ever possibly deserve. Amen. Isn't that good? Number four, he's a forgiving God. He's a forgiving God. Look at what it says. Forgive us our sins as we also forgive those who have sinned against us. Thank God that he does not treat us according to what our sins deserve. Forgiveness, guys, is the gift. It is the key for us to be reconciled, for us to be restored to God. Because when we are not, when we don't feel like our sins have been covered, our sins have been forgiven, the Bible says love covers over a multitude of what? Of sins. And so that is the key element that when we know, okay, I'm not perfect, I've blown it, and God has forgiven me, and he's provided a way for me to come back to him. At the end of the day, God's always calling us what? Come back home. Open arms. But I blew it, God. You don't know. There's no way you could forgive me for what I've done. No, that's not. Is there there anything that God can't forgive? No. The only thing that God can't forgive is unbelief. If you just say, well, I don't believe in you, God. Okay, well, then you're, you're rejecting him completely. But any other sin, God says, what? I will still forgive you if you'll confess your sin and come to me, I'll cleanse you and forgive you and restore yourself to me, and we can be one again, and you'll have a place at my home and at the table. He's a forgiving God. Thank God, because as a father, I need lots of forgiveness. We need lots of forgiveness because we're going to blow it. We're going to fail. And we have a, we have a heavenly father who is forgiving. And the last one is this, guys, is that he has delivered us from evil. He has delivered us from the evil one, Satan, the devil. You see, what we see in in our Heavenly Father is that through Christ and everything he's done for us by, by giving us salvation, giving us forgiveness, bringing us into the family, calling us his children, we become children of God, sons and daughters, is that what happened at the cross is that Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. He loosed the chains of bondage and sin. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have what? Overcome the world. So what the Father says, I've overcome, I've I've defeated the world, the flesh, and the devil. All of our enemies have been defeated. Therefore, he has already delivered us from evil. Now, do we still have an opportunity to go back to that? We do. That goes back to the free will thing. But aside from that, God said, I've already taken care of all your enemies. It's done. Devil's defeated. The flesh is is defeated. The world's been overcome. And so, therefore, he's done everything necessary for us to have peace and joy and blessing and freedom. Because the Bible says this, he that is in us is greater than he that is at work in, in the world. We have a good father. We can trust his will. We have more than we could ever possibly imagine or deserve. 
He's a forgiving God. And he's delivered us from demons. Now that is a good father. Amen. Amen. So as we go, I'm going to ask our praise team to come up. And we're going to sing one more song today before we get out of here. But if there's one thing that you take away from this whole message is this. No matter where you are in your relationship with the Father today, I'm asking you and I'm, I'm imploring you, I'm, I'm encouraging you to run to the Father. Run to the Father, okay? Because when we run to the Father, it's like, it's like the prodigal son. Y'all remember the story? When the prodigal son, he left the father, he went off and lived in um, just immoral living, he, he blew his inheritance, he dishonored his father, he did everything wrong. And when he came to the point when he was humbled enough to say, I'm going back home, he did not expect his father to bring him back into the family. He said, I'll just go work for him, I'll, just, I'll go be a servant in his house, whatever I got to do, but it's better than where I am now in the pigsty, right? What do we see in the, in the story of the prodigal son? As the prodigal son is running home, or he's coming home, who's looking for him? His father. And when his father sees him a long way away, what do we see the father doing? He's running to his son. And what does he give him when he gets there? He gives him an embrace, open arms. No condemnation, no I told you so's. No what a stupid son you were. No, 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 he said my son was lost and now he's what? He's found. He was dead to me, and now he's what? That's what God wants from you and me. So wherever you are in your life today, whatever you are on your journey of faith today, if you've been, if you've been running far away from the Father, you, don't, you think you, maybe you've gone too far away, that's not true. He wants you to come back and run to him. Amen? Guys, let's bow as we pray. Father, I just thank you that you are a good Heavenly Father and that you can be trusted. And that nothing can separate us from your love. And I pray, Lord, if there be anybody here today that is struggling with doubting your goodness or doubting your love. I pray, Lord, that they will be reminded of your love, that they can trust your will, and that you are still good. And that they will run to you, Lord, faster than ever before. And, and receive that restoration and receive that embrace that they are desperately, that we're all desperately needing. Lord, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace and for your forgiveness. And it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.